welcome back. This is part two of our spiritual gift series. In the last episode, I reviewed all 15 gifts found in the Bible and spoke more in depth about three of the nine that I will review in this series. Today, we review the remaining six spiritual gifts from this series. Today, we start with the gift of faith. The spiritual gift of faith is not to be confused with saving faith. All Christians have been given saving faith, but not all receive this special gift of faith. The word for faith in the New Testament is pistis. It carries the notion of confidence, certainty, trust, and assurance in the object of faith. The gift of faith is rooted in one's saving faith in Christ and the trust that comes through a close relationship with the Savior. Those with this gift have a trust and confidence in God that allows them to live boldly for Him and manifest that faith in mighty ways. In the Bible, the gift of faith is often accompanied by great works of faith. In Acts 3, verses 1 to 10, we see this gift in action when Peter sees a lame man at the beautiful gate and calls on him to stand up and walk in the name of Jesus. Jesus even said that a small amount of this faith could move mountains. And Paul echoed this same truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2. The Holy Spirit distributes this gift to some in the church to encourage and build up the church in their confidence in God. Those with the gift of faith trust that God is sovereign and that He is good. They take Him at His word and put the full weight of their lives in His hands. They expect God to move and are not surprised when he answers a prayer or performs a miracle. I did a whole series on examples of powerful faith bonds in the Bible. Feel free to listen to episodes 4, 5, 7, 10, 11, and 12. Yeah, it was a long series because there were many examples found. The next gift, spiritual gift, is the gift of healing. The spiritual gift of healing found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 is actually plural in Greek. Charismata, iamaton, is literally translated gifts of healings. This spiritual gift is closely related to the gifts of faith and miracles. All spiritual gifts are to be exercised in faith, but gifts of healing involve a special measure of it. This gift is interesting in that there is no guarantee that a person will always be able to heal anyone he or she desires. It is subject to the sovereign will of God, as all spiritual gifts are. The disciples were given authority to heal and cast out demons, but they were not always successful. The Apostle Paul was not able to heal himself and was told that God's grace was sufficient to carry him through his infirmity without removing it from him. This gift is given at various times and places to reveal the God of heaven to the sick and tormented. If healing is not granted then we can conclude that God has greater plans for letting that person go through the illness or infirmity. This can be hard sometimes, especially if you're the one ill or infirm. Jesus is the great healer and physician, and during his ministry on earth, he healed countless people and cast out demons. Healings reveal that God is near to his people, and he cares about their sufferings. Healings are meant to draw people to God through his Son, Jesus Christ. God wants those healed to respond in faith with thanksgiving and love as the leper did in Luke 
chapter 17, verses 15 to 19. And as a demon-possessed man did in Mark chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. By God's grace, physical healing should lead to spiritual healing, faith in Jesus, and eternal life with him in heaven. Skeptic or not, there has been detailed accounts of spiritual healing happening many times. Feel free to Google it and research it for yourself. The Gift of Miracles Described in scripture much like the gift of healing, it literally, in Greek, it literally translates to workings of powers. The double plural most likely means that these gifts were diverse and were not permanently available at the will of the gifted believer, but instead were bestowed at various times and circumstances, much like we just, um, I just read from the gift of healing. The gifts are subject to the divine will of God and his purposes are not decided by the one who performs the miraculous works. This is important. It's not the person that decides, it's God. We know that Jesus performed many miracles in his earthly ministry, even more than those recorded in scripture. The apostles regularly performed miracles of all kinds, including casting out demons, healings, raising people from the dead, striking people dead, causing blindness, and much more. A lot of them can be found in the book of Acts. Other believers perform miracles as well, including Stephen and Philip. Miracles were given by God to the church to reveal the presence and glory of God among his people and to create a sense of awe and wonder and godly fear. Though there were many enemies of the church, often the result of miracles being performed was more people coming to faith in Jesus and glorifying God, as well as greater faith and boldness within the church. Those with the spiritual gift of miracles often have a heightened sensitivity to the presence and power of God through His Holy Spirit. They have a special measure of faith and desire for God to reveal Himself and draw many to faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. They don't claim power themselves, but always give credit and glory to God for His mighty works. Are you seeing a pattern? People with these gifts don't should not claim power themselves but always give credit to God often God will deliberately humble them to keep them relying on his grace and pointing to his son rather than miracles I think a common thread is that in each of the last examples a person should not claim power as I mentioned we hear about miracles every once in a while most of them turn out to be hoax to doctors or scientists they might call them miraculous heating healing, spontaneous remission, or placebo responses, while religious people generally use a different word, miracle. There is one of many stories about science or medicine trying to disprove um, miracle. One such story is about Dr. Jacqueline Dufin. Dr. Dufin is a medical historian, hematologist, author, and professor at Queen's University in Ontario, Canada. The Vatican hired her by way of a blind study, to provide expert testimony in the case of a second miracle presented in the cause of the canonization of Marie Marguerite Duville, the founder of the Order of Sisters of Charity of Montreal, who was later declared the first Canadian-born saint. As a reminder, in order to officially canonize someone and declare them as a saint, the Vatican asks for several several facts to be to, to be 
verified. And one of them is a miracle, that they must have performed a miracle. I, re I recommend watching her interview when she explains the study and the church's understanding of miracles. So she was hired as a witness, independent witness, to disprove the miracle. But in the end, she said, yes, this is a miracle. It's a thing of wonder, something that I can't explain. The next gift is the gift of discernment. The spiritual gifts of discernment is also known as the gift of discernment of spirits or distinguishing between spirits. The word describes being able to distinguish, discern, judge, or appraise a person's statement, situation, or environment. In the New Testament, it describes the ability to distinguish between spirits as in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 10, and to discern good and evil as in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 14. The Holy Spirit gives the gift of discernment to enable certain Christians to clearly recognize and distinguish between the influence of God, Satan, the world, and the flesh in a given situation. The church needs those with this gift to warn believers in times of danger or keep them from being led astray by false teaching. The eighth gift we're going to cover is the gift of tongues. The spiritual gift of tongues is more accurately called the gift of languages. In Greek, it literally means tongue. When it is used in the New Testament addressing the su subject of spiritual gifts, it carries a contextual message of languages. Speaking in tongues is the utterance of prayer or message glorifying God, typically spoken to God in a language that is unknown to the one speaking to it. It's a recognized charisma of the Holy Spirit and it manifests in different ways. The most common way is the gift of prayer that is useful to praise God and foster one's own relationship with him through utterances that we don't understand. It has been described as the experience of letting the Holy Spirit pray through us in sounds or words that do not appear to form a part of any human language. Another way the gift is seen, though it is rare, is by which a person speaks in a language he doesn't know, but someone else understands what he is saying. Most famously, we see this form of the gift at Pentecost, when the apostles filled with the Holy Spirit were heard by the multitudes around them as speaking in their own native language. A major hurdle in trying to attain an authentic understanding of the gift of tongues is that the church hasn't explicitly defined it. This is confusing to many, and I admit still a bit confusing to me. The last gift we're going to talk to today about today is the gift of interpretation of the tongues. Obviously working in conjunction with the gift of tongues, Paul states that tongues are not to be exercised in the public assembly unless there is someone present with the gift of interpretation. Every time there is a public utterance in tongues, an interpretation should follow. Augustine, one of the great theologians of the Eastern and Western churches, considered tongues obsolete. While at the other end of the spectrum, the Jansenites, a group of Roman Catholic loyalists who opposed the reformers' teaching on justification by faith, also claimed to be able to speak in tongues in the 1700s. Another group that practiced a form of tongues was the Shakers, an American sect with Quaker roots that flourished in the mid-1700s. You're still with me. If you are, then you haven't been turned off or confused by all this spiritual talk, and I'm glad. 
what's important is that's what's actually what's interesting is a lot of the gifts play off each other so if someone has the gift of knowledge you need the gift of wisdom to understand what to how to apply this knowledge the gift of healing combining with the gift of faith miracles the gift of tongue needed by someone with the gift of interpretation of tongues every single person's gift is critical not one being more important than the other but all combined forms the the church of christ every christian has at least some spiritual gifts according to first corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 it says to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good again to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good after enumerating a partial list of gifts, the apostle concluded in Corinthians, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. The analogy of the human body is then developed as an illustration of the various functions of the members of the body of Christ, the lost to Christ. While every Christian should be a channel of information to others and should do the work of an evangelist as Timothy was instructed to do, Nonetheless, some will be more effective in sharing the gospel. Here's a part that I find beautiful. As I mentioned how each gift is supported by others. Every gift gets enhanced by another. We need community and are stronger as community. Alone, we have all gifts, but together we become unstoppable. Paul says it best as he compares each gift to the part of the body. I'm going to read to you now 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit to another miraculous powers to another prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and to still another the interpretation of tongues all these are the work of one and the same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines just as a body though one has many parts but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, 
it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church first all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Amen. The meaning to me, of course, is that having one spiritual gift or another should not cause anyone to be thought of as more spiritual or important than the other. Instead, Paul urged the Corinthians to think of their church and the worldwide church in general as a kind of body. A human body is just one thing, one organism, but is made up of different parts, all with different functions. In the same way, the church is made up of many believers, all connected by the Holy Spirit in them. And it's just one thing, Christ's body on earth. Do you want to know your gifts? I know I was curious. What comes naturally to you? Ask a friend or family member and you might be able to tie it to a spiritual gifts. As you were listening to the descriptions listed, did any resonate with you? Perhaps that could be the gift or gifts you have been given. Or you can ask your Christian friends which gifts they identify in you. Very often they can see what you cannot and can observe which skills God has divinely assigned to you. Or you can pray about it. If we ask God to lead us toward whatever gifts he has given us, he can make it clearer to us. There are also online quizzes you can do to help you. Remember, take these with a grain of salt. It's a computer software and it's not perfect. I filled out two online surveys. With one, my top three were leadership, teaching, and exhortation. While the second survey gave me administration, knowledge, and faith. Very, very different. I've been in leadership position for over 25 years, so leadership and teaching make sense from the first survey. I love learning and I study the Bible daily, so I can see knowledge from the second survey in there as well. Where do you see your skills stand out? Share in the comments or send me an email at info at leadgrowdevelop.com. It's my leadership blog's email address. I would love to hear your story. Thank you so much for listening to this series. 
and for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast. If you enjoyed Two Pillars Podcast, rate and review it on iTunes. That is the best way to help get this podcast seen. Thank you for listening and join me next time for another episode.